I love angry women because angry women are free. Reading is a collaboration between the writer and the reader. If Michelle Obama had natural hair, Barack Obama would not have won. Biblioteket er det originale internet. Det er det, jeg gider, We need this Europe. And that's why we have libraries. Knowledge. Knowledge is power. Det her er live for det kongelige bibliotek. Stedet, hvor vi samler alt det bedste fra vores livescene her på Den Sorte Diamant. Din vært, Lise Bak Hansen. Er det okay at lege Gud, når det kommer til klimakrisen? Vi har allerede lidt utilsigtet leget Gud. Det er blandt andet derfor, at vi står i den krise, vi står i nu. Hvad hvis vi gjorde det målrettet for at forsøge at fikse den? Det er umuligt at være fuldkommen imod geoengineering, slår Catherine Richardson, professor i biologisk oceanografi, fast. Fordi, som hun siger, alene det at plante træer er geoengineering. I den samtale, du skal høre mellem Richardson og den kanadiske kunstner Angela Rawlins, undrer hun sig blandt andet over måden, vi bliver ved med at tale om naturen på, som om vi er hævet over den. Som om vores politikere kan sidde i Paris og Glasgow og bestemme, hvad klodens temperatur skal være. Talken er en del af Arctic Imagination. En serie af talks på tværs af Atlanten fra Danmark til Kanada, der kaster lys på transformationen, udviklingen og krisen i Arktis. Som et stærkt symbol, et mytologisk inspirerende landskab og en geopolitisk faktor. Hvordan vi så skal tænke os selv i forhold til naturen, kommer der mange gode bud på i løbet af talken, som du kan glæde dig til at høre nu. The last time that Catherine and I were in person together was one year ago, and we spent the bulk of our two weeks together on a research vessel in between Iceland and Greenland. Uh, we were transecting uh, along kind of the Danish Strait in the North Atlantic and from kind of the northwest end of Iceland all the way about a couple of hundred kilometers south. On the research vessel, we were up to a couple of tasks. One of them was to extract sediment cores uh, from the deep ocean. We did this at several different locations using a couple of different processes. Uh, And will you explain the water? (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, I'll explain the water. One of the first things we observed on this cruise was that the water is absolutely not flat in the Irmager Sea, let me tell you. <laughs> It was a very bumpy trip. And um, and some of people we didn't even see the first week that we had with us. But the reason we were looking, we were out there, is that we believe that Well, let me start another place. Let me start with this sphere that we're supposed to be talking about in the next couple of days. Because everybody at the I mean at the moment everybody's talking climate. It's climate, 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 climate. And yet having a climate's nothing very special. Every planet has a climate. It's only a question of how much heat do you get from the sun, how much gets stored near the surface of it, and how does it move around, what does it come into contact with? And every planet has has elements or Lego blocks, if you will, coming from Denmark, that that were left over from the Big Bang. And on most planets, these things are relatively inert. They don't really react with anything else. 
Are they not, not very readily, at least? And some people even say that Neil Armstrong's footprint can still be seen on the moon. I obviously have no idea if that's right or not. But I do know if we had a footprint on Earth from 1969, it would be long gone. And why would it be long gone? Because there's life. Life is what makes this planet special. And we have no idea what life is, but we do know what it does. And it transforms and it transports these elements. And every time it's possible to get enough free energy out from such a transformation, that an organism or an organism group has gone in to do that job. But we don't understand very well how that job is done. And we think that life, I mean, life started in the ocean. Clearly, it's important. And we think that changes in the, in the ecosystem, what plants you actually had there, the tiny little plants, is actually very important in terms of taking CO2 out of the atmosphere and putting it back, going in and out of ice ages. But we don't have any way to check that hypothesis because until recently, the only thing, if you go into the sediment cores, where, you know, things that are in the ocean, ultimately they die and they fall down there. So you get things, you know, just like on land, you get fossils down there. And you can say what organisms were there that fossilized. But it's far from, there's really not very many of these tiny organisms that fossilize. So we don't know very much about nature in the ocean and what it's looked like. So what we're trying to do with these sediment cores is to take them up and extract the DNA in them because every, every, you know, every organism has DNA and, and people have been realizing that we can go back and we can actually take DNA, ancient DNA, out of these cores and, and describe what nature looked like in the ocean in the past. And on this cruise, the one that we were working on, we actually got about 66,000 years back in time which is pretty good, but I want to go further. And the Germans have just been out and have taken two more cores for us. And we hope they have, they have a, we were, we were, we were using gravity coring so we could only just drop a, drop a, a, a big metal pipe, um, drop it from two kilometers and through the, through the water and the weight of it, when it goes two kilometers, whoom, it rams into the bottom and we get, we get a core up. But the Germans actually had one where we could, would pump it down, boom, 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 in the bottom. And, um, and they brought us back cores that are over, over 10 meters. So we're hoping, hoping, hoping that we're back before the last ice age, which will give us the opportunity to describe nature and the development of nature through all this period and to relate it to, to climate so we can better understand this relationship between biology, life, and and and. The energy balance, which is what climate's all about. And, and really, it's the interaction between the energy balance and life that makes this planet what it is. Exciting, yeah? It's quite unusual to be an artist invited onto a ship. So I'm also going to go backwards just a little bit, not, not as far as you did here with the sphere. Uh, but I have had about a 20-year practice uh, working within arts and sciences contexts. Uh, after I finished a PhD, and my PhD was in theater and performance studies, cultural geography, geology, and archaeology, so mixing between arts and sciences. After I completed that, I saw a call for a postdoctoral fellowship with Queen Margaret II and Vigdis Finbogadatir's research center on ocean, climate, and society. And this would be a partnership between both 
Danish and Icelandic, and, and Icelandic uh, academic institutions. The person who started this project? Catherine. So this is how we ended up meeting each other. Yeah. And uh, the research vessel came about because Catherine had, in terms of doing the work that you're doing with the research, you invited the postdoctoral fellows to join you. Quite unusual to have an artist aboard a ship of this kind. And uh, there were approximately 10 scientists, 10 sailors, uh, and then just two of us who are coming from the humanities or the arts. And the captain of the ship said this was the first time he'd had an artist on board. We were there for two weeks. The first week, um, I, I was just kind of hanging off of every single thing that was taking place. I'm there to assist. You know, I've got set, like, you know, seven, 10,000 year old sediment all over my hands, um, working with the sailors to help lift things around, safety gear galore, and asking. You should see this lady in a hard hat. <laughs> asking all the questions that I can of the geophysicists, um, that paleo botanist aboard, uh, and Catherine, uh, biological oceanographer, uh, just to learn as much as I possibly could. Whenever I have encountered Catherine's research or her fellow's research over the years, I find it one of the most generative things as an artist. It makes me want to start uh, writing and thinking and processing uh, in ways where I can understand where the research is coming from, but also embody it in a way too, so I can imprint or tattoo it on my, not a physical tattoo, but put it into my body somehow to relate to it. Yeah. What I think, what I, th I think what I, I'm, I feel compelled at this point to say I was introduced as being a biological oceanographer, and that's true. I was trained as a biological oceanographer, but as you can see, by looking at me, that was some time ago. And I have used the past three decades, um, together with a lot of scientists, including one sitting over there in the corner, that, um, that looking, trying to get out of that box that was biological oceanography and get into one, develop a new domain of scientific understanding called Earth System Science, which is all about, I mean, we've spent all our time in, in science, in natural science for the last X hundred years describing living and non-living things in the universe. And describing them isn't good enough. You won't understand how it all works if you just describe these things. It would be like asking all the doctors that you know with their different with their different uh, specialities. If you put all your knowledge about hearts or lungs or brains or feet or whatever your specialty is as a doctor, put it all into a big pot and stir it up, you're not going to understand what a person is because it's the interactions between these different parts that are important. Who would have thought 10 years ago that... <coughs> service announcement, I don't have COVID. <coughs> but I came in close contact with some mold that's still giving me a rough time. But you wouldn't understand what a person is by, by just understanding all of its parts. It's the interactions that are important. And 10 years ago, you wouldn't have expected your gut flora to be important for anything except your digestion. Now we know it's important for your, for your immune system, for your psychological state. And, and 
so it's the interactions that are important. And this new domain that we've been working on, Earth System Science, is trying to understand the Earth as a complex system, where it is the interactions between physics, biology, chemistry, and people that actually make the make the difference, that, that make it all go together. And, and the reason that I wanted um, humanists in this project from the very beginning is that you, I see this as being an earth system science project. It's looking at interactions, interactions between um, biology and physics in the ocean and, and, re, and, and climate, looking at how the climate impacts the situation on in Iceland itself. The project also has taking cores from lakes on Iceland, 50 lakes. We have data cores from 50 lakes in Iceland. Nowhere in the world have you have an island that's, that's going to be so described in terms of, its, of how its, its nature has evolved along with climate. And, of course, that gives us also the opportunity to see how did people change the, the nature because those signals are there as well. And then we have, we have humanists who have been looking at, at, at there's, there's three, well, actually a fourth one joining now, but looking at, at um, the people interactions with these changes in nature and changes in climate. So, so that's why I wanted you on board and, and why, I mean, but it was interesting because at some point, there's, there are two different ways you can get these cores. You can get them with a long, it's a boring, piece of pipe and when it comes up it doesn't tell you very much or you can get it with a piece of a piece of a plastic a plastic so when it comes up you can actually it's not as deep but it comes up in, in plexiglass and you can see it when it gets there and we did that kind of coring as well and Angela fell in love I mean she just she just looked she said I want one of those can I have one of those and and my call my natural science colleague said to me are you do you realize this takes X number of hours and the ship costs this and this and that means that giving her one is going to be... I said, yeah, but you can't say A without saying B. She's here, she's part of this, and she's going to get her core. And she did, and she made, a, she made an art exhibition out of it. And do you know what? More people have come into contact with what we're doing and understanding how you can use the, the, a core from the ocean to tell the history of this sphere and our relationship to it um, through her work than I'll ever read all of my boring papers. What we're exploring a little bit over these days at uh, Sphere is, is exactly how different kinds of relationships come to be um, or can become. Uh, I was thinking at a point uh, many years ago about how to understand biodiversity loss. And I was approaching it through the lens of something that I know quite intimately, but that I often take for granted, which is my mother tongue, and that's English. Um, so I was starting to think, well, what would happen if I, were to if I were to imagine a book, if I were to write a book as a kind of closed ecosystem? And we start out within the book with all 26 letters in the English language alphabet being usable, but with every recto verso 
spread, every turning of the page, you lose one letter. At first, it's, it's the ones that aren't used that frequently, like we lose Z or Z with the first turn. After that, Z or Z is gone, and then X disappears as well, and then, the, and then so on and so on. This is called a lipogrammatic constraint. So just like we think about sonnets uh, or haiku, a lipogram uh, is a type of poetic constraint uh, that was invented by um, a group of French writers in the 1960s called Ulipo. And with lipogram, you limit what you can compose with. So in the sense of the project that I was starting to get uh, think, get it my head around, I was thinking, well, what if I am removing or taking away letters, and then I have less and less that I can actually compose uh, intelligible words with the farther that, that I get in, and I am also quite heavily limiting uh, the, son the sonority of the language as well. What does it sound like if I'm only allowed to use certain letters? Um, and this was my this was kind of my first blush into thinking through um, how I might embody what's happening in this with this really gigantic uh, concept of biodiversity loss. Um, over those first pages, we end up losing um, many letters until we're only left with. Uh, the 15 letters that exist within the English language pronouns. Again, interested in anthropocentrism in a sense here. The letters that are present in that are E-F-H-I-L-M-N-O-R-S-T-U-V-W and Y. So once I got to that point in writing this book, I thought, okay, so I can only write using these letters now. What do I start to generate and what does it sound like when I have that kind of an ecosystem of, you know. I hope that Angela is going to actually read you the poem in a minute, but I want to tell you what happened to me when I heard it. Because as I've, as I've explained, what really fascinates me is this interaction between the geosphere, that is things like the climate and elements and so on, the non-living things, and life, and how that interaction between the geosphere and the biosphere, geosphere being all the energy stuff, biosphere being all living organisms, how that interaction really works. And it's not something that we've looked a lot at, and I have a really, really hard time explaining to people why I think it's so important. And, and people go around and say, oh, well, you know, we could lose lots of different organisms and it wouldn't mean anything for humans. So I, I don't know that you can really say that, but I've had a really hard time explaining it. So we have this rule when we're on the ship that, um, you know, since we don't all know each other really well, that every afternoon we meet at five o'clock before dinner and, and you know, one of the scientists on board or one of the people on board tells what they do and, you know, what they're doing on the cruise and all that sort of stuff. And, and we, it was Angela's turn and, and it was very, very rough. So you wanted to do it up on the bridge where there was light so you could be looking at the horizon when it was necessary. So we're up on the bridge and I can see the captain of the ship. Um, Angela can't. And she reads her poem. I got, when you hear it, just imagine a, you know, a traditional ship captain um, listening to this. But um, and, and he was very moved as well. It just took him a little time to realize what was happening to him, I think. But when I heard this, 
I just, I mean, I, I came back home and I said, I can't tell you, I can't actually tell you what that poem was about, but it just made such an impact on me because it hit me, yes, that's the interaction. And I've written a couple of, I've written an essay that was in a Danish newspaper that they actually just published it for a second time because there were so many people who were looking for it again, where I referred to this, to this, um, to this poem and, and it, it then caused several, uh, you've had at least two invitations from Denmark to come and perform that poem for, so, so it's to explain about ocean and about biodiversity. So, so it's really made a very big impact and it's probably the poem in English that's made the biggest impact in, in Denmark in the world. But I, I'd really like it uh, if you would read it for them or, or do part of it at least because um, for me it's just so obvious that, yeah, well, we can talk about afterwards what's obvious. You do your thing. You can see how wonderfully it's been treated as I've been traveling, so we'll just ignore the fact that it's a hot mess. Uh, this is the the first recto verso spread or the first two pages once we get to the moment when we only have those 15 letters remaining from the pronouns. Uh, and there are the rest of the book, which is many pages long, uh, continue from this point. But this is how I entered this limited uh, number of characters that I was working with. I will not ruin the environment I will not ruin the environment. 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 I will not run the environment. I will not run environment. I will run environment. I run environment. I run iron. I iron. I on. I will. I will iron. I meant I will not iron. Ruin iron. Run. I run. I run the run the will. I run the will will not ruin the environment. I will not ruin the envi. I will not ruin the. Will not. Not ruin the environment meant. Run the will the environment ruin. Ruin the ruin. He meant. He environment. He in. In in. Me in. In he then. No ill will. 
Men not in will ill. In no hen on rue run me. Rue no in on in on in no men. I not environment. I will not ruin it. I ill not ruin the environment. I I not ruin the environment. I I ought rue the environment. I I ruin the environment. I I ruin he environment. I I ruin he environment. I I I he environment. I I I eh eh invite me. I I I invite him. I I. I, I, mm, I, 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 I. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad we put pressure on you because for me, it's so obvious that yes, that must be. I mean, I'm sure we can use. Spe lose species, and for a while, the language. I mean, I look at if species are letters, then then for a while you can take them away, and you can still put those letters together, and it's very understandable. The 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 language is less flowery, but as they get farther and farther away, what they were supposed to do together isn't working anymore, and and I found that a really a really useful way to try and describe why I, I worry more about the biodiversity crisis than I do about the climate crisis. Not that I don't worry about the climate crisis, don't get me wrong, but when humanity gets control over its emissions, and you know, there's really no excuse not to because we have all the technologies that we need today, and that when we do it, we will, it'll take thousands of years so none of us will be here to see it, but the energy balance of Earth will go back to something that doesn't have a human fingerprint on, on it any longer. It may not be exactly what it is now, but it, it will not be impacted by humanity. On the other hand, every time you lose a species, it's gone forever. So we can never go back to a biosphere that doesn't carry the imprint of, of humanity. And since it's the interaction between climate and life or biodiversity that creates the conditions on Earth, then the biodiversity crisis must be least, at least as important as the climate crisis, which is about energy. And, and it, it worries me more because of this, yeah, because of the way you've got me thinking about it. It is all your fault. Um, I, have, I have one more question that I'd like to ask you specifically, Catherine, before we shift to a bit of a Q&A, and uh, now I'm going to put you on the spot with all the pressure. Um, you were mentioning to me uh, before we started today that you just recently co-published an article. It's not published. We oh. sent it in. We've sent it in. You it's a it chapter in. we've sent in for a book. Would you tell us, give us a little bit of a sneak peek? Sure. And I'll actually say that the, my co-author is going to be speaking later in the week in this series by a strange quirk of fate, Monique Olsing. Um, what we looked at was, the again, this interaction between geosphere and biosphere. 
and it's this interaction which is important. But what happens? What happens when you change the when when the conditions suddenly change on Earth? And and we we looked at time scales, and we looked at the fact that in in the geosphere, it's a relative. There are long time scales. It takes hundreds of thousands of years for the the CO two or the carbon that's in a rock once it gets out through weathering or whatever, and it goes into the water system, and then it goes maybe through biology and into the atmosphere and through the. And by the time it gets back to being a rock again, it's hundreds of thousands of years. Whereas biology, things happen a whole lot faster. But it, so we've got two different spheres. One, things are happening slowly as a rule. Others are happening much more quickly. But it's the interaction between the two that are interesting. And so in steady periods of, you know, when, the, when the conditions on Earth are relatively stable for a long time and we're in a phase, as we've been the Holocene the last 12,000 years, then these interactions between the two get into a kind of a balance. And it's when you mess up the balance that things that things happen and and you can mess up the balance when it happens on a short time scale like when a meteor hits the earth and does a, out with the dinosaurs that was something that on a geological time scale happened very quickly and upset the balance when when the biosphere evolved photosynthesis it takes a long time for photosynthesis to evolve but once it's there, you can look at it as being something that happened instantaneously and absolutely changed the conditions on Earth. And then you look at what humanity is doing to the energy balance and the moving of carbon that was it's been stored for millions of years. It's been inert and not reacting. And we've got it out now uh, so reacting and making all sorts of changes in the system. And on geological timescale, this is happening instantaneously. So what we're doing is mimicking the, uh, the conditions that have happened before when there's been a major change on Earth. And, and the, other, the other thing that's interesting about that analysis is the fact that really the biosphere, the turnover in the biosphere is happening on timescales that make it possible to be able to use biology and biological processes um, to help us um, negate the effects that we're having otherwise. So it's it's this idea of of trying, I mean, one of our problems, I think, with climate change is that we use models that are developed to work on politically interesting timescales. That means the very immediate future and only to 2100. I gotta tell you, that the, the, the biological stocks of carbon in the ocean, in, the, in, the, in life, in the, the vegetation and so on, the, the, in the soil, in the ocean and the soil, they won't be in balance. They won't have reached equilibrium or steady state in 2100. We just, and sea level rise will certainly not have gotten to where it's going. And it's like the way we talk about it, we think, oh, well, you know, it stops at 2100 and, you know, then nothing happens. But it's not. I mean, human, we keep speaking about all this as if humans are above nature and it's, it's our politicians when they go to Paris or Glasgow that decide what the future temperature of the earth is going to be. And in fact, for about four billion years, it's been the interaction between, between physics or geophysics and biology that has decided those processes are still there and we're working together with them. We can't, 
we can't just forget about them and decide that it's Paris, it's politicians in Paris or Glasgow that that you know understand and can can make the future conditions. So I'm I'm arguing strongly that we need to be we need to be much more respectful of the fact that we're not above nature, we're a part of nature. Thank you all so much for listening.